episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can reach us at the show on Twitter, our new Twitter page, which is Championship Pod. And you can also follow my personal Twitter at underscore James Vickers, where I write for a Preston North End fan blog. And you can catch me on the show each week. Hello. Um, to uh, add to confusion, I'm also James, but I am a QPR fan, James Evans. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Jim E. Evans, and I run We Are QPR TV, which is on YouTube and is also on Twitter. Hi, everyone. My name's Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of wallsblog.com, and unsurprisingly, I am a Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter. You can uh, get us at wallsblog.com or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash wallsblog at wallsblog or on facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. Um, obviously, the big talking point of the week, Simon Grayson uh, has left Sunderland now. The sort of job when he took over... Um, I'm not going to sort of try and be bitter here as a Preston fan. He, he left us sort of on the first day of pre-season to go there and it's it's not worked out for him. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts firstly on, was it the right decision for them to sack him? Um, and then secondly, following on from that, sort of the state they're in at the moment, is it really just sort of a, a poison chalice really for whoever does decide to to take the job? Um, we'll start with you first uh, on this topic, James. Uh your thoughts and then uh, yeah you chip in as well Tom yeah um I had I had I had a quick look earlier and apparently John O'Shea is even to be their next manager which sort of says uh which may go way go out the window but it sort of says it all about Sunderland it's kind of it's just incomplete turmoil there um I guess Grayson wanted to, to go to sorry James a bigger club in terms of kind of you know our fan base and all of that um, but I, I, I wouldn't have left. I wouldn't have left Preston. There's a lot of good things going there to go to Sunderland. Uh, and I, I mean, what are they? Who are they expecting to come in and kind of turn it round? They've just sadly, they've just got at the moment the hallmarks of um, potentially dropping down another division, which is uh, which is a terrible thing. Um, but they were just they were they, what they've done is they've sort of done exactly what they did in the Premier League. In now in the championship, just flirted at the wrong end of the table. There doesn't seem to be any unity. Um, the fans, there's a huge kind of discord amongst the fans and and the club. And then if you look at the list of people that are kind of floating around it, I think Karanka might be on the list as well. Whether he'd want to kind of <laughs> go there, yeah, um, um, it's just yeah, it's just crazy. Um, so it's I mean I, I I would have stuck with Grayson. He's kind of proven at this level and and below as well so if, if, if they would have struggled he might have been able to get them back up but um yeah I, from an incredibly selfish point of view it's i'm kind of grateful that there are some teams that are struggling because this league is a really 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 hard league and i think you could if you're not one of the ones right up at the top you, there's a lot of teams that could kind of be up for kind of going down uh that's what i certainly thought about qpr beforehand yeah i mean i suppose i it it had it smacked in the summer of an actual common sense appointment. You were like, wow, they've actually they've gone out and thought, who knows the championship? Who is able to assemble a team and work with players, perhaps not of a you know high caliber quality, and and put a team together? And I thought it it seemed like a good appointment. So, but then you know the ten points, you know fifteen games, bottom of the table. I mean, I think even. Sunderland in the turmoil they're in could have expected better than that. And so I think it's not massively surprising that they've given him the push. It's probably a little bit harsh, but I, don't, I just find it hard to look at that squad of players and think he couldn't do better than, than 10 points from 15 games. So I haven't got a massive amount of sympathy for him. And I know I do understand when people say about, you know, managers need time to put their stamp on things and, get the team playing together. But I mean, Sunderland really don't want to go down to League One. Um, and I don't think if he'd been handed that requirement at the start of the season, I'm guessing they probably said to him, we don't perhaps expect to be right at the top, um, you know, but we want to be consolidating that division and, and be seeing the right, you know, the right signs that we're moving in the right direction. So to be bottom of the table, 15, you know, after 15 games and, you know, the one win is it? I mean, I, I'm not massively surprised by it. I've got to be honest. Yeah, I think definitely it's where they are in the table isn't where they want it to be. I definitely think, sort of, I agree with you there, Tom, that they 
first season, they were never going to go straight back up. They weren't going to do a Newcastle or sort of to some extent how Burnley have sort of yo-yoed between the division uh, in the last couple of seasons. I think this season for them was about consolidating that place in the division. But I think we covered it last week as well in the podcast. I think sort of their club is in such a mess at the moment that I think it was almost going to be in sort of an impossible task for Grayson to, to get it right straight away. I am quite surprised sort of just how bad they have done. But if you sort of look at the players that they've got and they don't really have any, you know, sort of decent championship experience. And it's a club that over the last couple of years have just been used to losing week in, week out. And once you get that sort of mentality around the club, it is really difficult um, sort of to turn it around. So I think whoever does take the job next, whether it's John O'Shea, which, you know, obviously it's, kind of a, a risky appointment obviously it can't get any worse for them um, uh, they're going to have a job on their hands but sort of looking down sort of the list of, of people who are you know sort of odds on you've got John O'Shea, Ali McCoist you know they don't really sort of scream as names that are going to sort of turn their fortunes around um, neither has sort of particularly sort of any management experience in the championship so I do think it's going to be a really difficult sort of ask to, to turn their fortune around. I, sort of, I do think they have got sort of a squad that is too good to go down. But, you know, how many times have we said that about teams either in the Premiership or the Championship? And, you know, football's not one on paper, as the old cliche goes. So I think they are in a real mess at the moment. And this next appointment for them is, so I'd go as far to say, is going to make or break their season, whether they stay in the division or not. Um, so it's going to be fascinating over the next couple of weeks to really sort of see what direction they go in and and if their fortunes can turn around sort of with that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd be interested. I don't know if Paul Lambert's been mentioned, but after he came, he came in at Wolves and gave us that little bit of a lift last season when we were we were down near the bottom. And I think he'd probably be a good appointment for them. I don't know whether he's ruled himself out or they're interested in him, but I, I'm, he's out of work. I'd be surprised if they weren't looking at him because he's a motivator as well. He's someone who'll go in and he'll galvanise those players. So if I was Sunderland now looking at some of the names you've talked about, uh, if they could somehow get Paul Lambert to go there, I think that would be a, a very astute appointment for them. Um, but I mean, on the just commenting, I mean, the last team to go down from the Premier League straight down to League One was Wolves. So I'm, I'm reasonably well qualified to, uh, to speak about this. And it was actually the best <laughs> that ever happened to us. Because you know we we cleared the decks completely, got rid of basically all the players, uh, got a great manager in Kenny Jacket who sorted everything out for us, got us back into the championship, consolidated us, and now we've got the platform to to be where we are now. So it's not all doom and gloom, even if the worst does happen to them, but they need to get it sorted out sooner rather than later for sure. Yeah, definitely that sort of obviously press have never been in the championship but that was a similar situation to what happened with us we dropped down into league one with sort of players that were on far too much money for the level that they were playing at and it was sort of looking back now the best thing that's ever happened to us obviously at the time you know gutted to go down but cleared off the high the high earners rebuilt the club we got simon grayson in who did sort of sort of as good a job as as Kenny Jacket did sort of rebuilding the club from the bottom up and and got us back and now we're sort of starting to establish ourselves as a championship club again although sort of the the last five or six weeks haven't you know particularly been the best I do think sort of to, to go on to Preston I think we do you know have a squad that is sort of good enough to stay in the division and the large majority of that is down to Grayson coming in and rebuilding so I think if you sort of apply the same to Sunderland, obviously it would be bad for them to to go straight down into League One. But I do think sort of if you sort of fast forward three years, that could be sort of one of the best thing that's happened to them. And, you know, they've got a real opportunity then to rebuild. Um, but sort of staying on the sort of the little subject, I suppose, of Preston, um, I wanted to ask you two, it's over the last few weeks for us, it's been an absolute nightmare with injuries. We've... I think now, I'll try and find the list as I'm talking, we've got eight defenders out, sort of about a month or longer. Um, so it's not just little niggles here and there. We've got Sean Maguire, our sort of most creative sort of forward, is out for four months with a hamstring. He's had a hamstring uh, operation. I just wanted to sort of ask you, has, has anything like this ever happened at your club? And sort of how do you think, or where sort of is the blame to lie? Is it 
sort of just pure luck that all our injuries have happened at once or do you think there's going to be like an underlying factor of uh, sort of the players not getting the rest or or Alex Neal overtraining them? Well, it's, it's funny actually because um, earlier this season, QPR had not quite to that number, but uh, at one point in time, they only had one one centre-half and that was Alex Baptiste that we'd signed on a free from... Oh, I think Borough, maybe Sunderland even, but uh, a northeast club. Um, yeah, because um, Ned Manurg made his 200th appearance, then his 201st appearance, um, picked up a really bad injury, was out. And then we got Stephen Corker, who, I mean, who knows if he'll ever get his head in a, in a space to play football again. Um, then Bidwell was out, uh, Lynch was out, and Grant Hall was out with tendonitis. So all of our first-choice centre-halves um, were out. And then the only weird thing that kind of came of that was that um, Jack Robinson, who's barely played for a couple of years, a left back, has basically ended up playing centre half and has done a really, um, really good job. So I wouldn't say it's quite to the same scale, but I mean, I mean, it maybe I think it's just a few things coming together. And if you do look at kind of the Saturday Tuesday nature of the championship, it is just unforgiving the schedule. You know, if, if you have a busy month, you've played seven games and 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 it's incredible but that being said if you can get a couple back and just sort of ride it out i think that's why we kind of reverted quite a lot to three at the back with a couple of wing backs so uh, you know we had we had right wingers playing kind of full back um because kind of needs must really yeah i mean i suppose it's um it's as regards who's to blame it's it's very difficult i mean you tempt it, the temptation is always to think uh, it's it's just bad luck, you know. But I suppose you dissect the injuries. Are they muscle strains? Are they kicks during the game? You know, I I think Preston to me seemed like quite a high high tempo, uh, physical team, getting your faces. So if you play that way, you're always going to have a lot of players breaking down. That's just the way it is. I mean, I think Jurgen Klopp has, has come in for a lot of criticism over the years for a lot of his players because of the counter pressing system he puts in place and when Preston came to Molyneux a few weeks ago they were very you know high up the pitch didn't give us and, any room to play and QPR played that way as well in fairness yeah. actually um yeah. so you know you might have a good point there mate yeah exactly so I mean it's uh it's difficult but it's it is devastating I mean I think injuries are one of the things that just don't get taken into account I mean when Wolves came back from League One into the Championship, we had such a good team. We had at one point when we had Sacco, Dico, and Afobi up front. I actually thought we we're one of the, we're probably the best team in this league. But we had one run where we had a couple of players injured, and it just devastated our whole season. You know, and that's managers can lose their jobs because of injuries. You know, teams who might be in the promotion mix end up lower mid table because, as you both said, competitive division. There's like a piece of litmus paper between you know, 90% of the team. So those little margins, they do make a massive, massive difference. So, so yeah, it is, but it's just, you know, that's, that's just, you know, some seasons you tend to have an amazing uh, record and those seem to be the seasons that if you correlate them together, you're, you're at the top of the table. So unlucky for you, mate, but um, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, everyone... definitely. Yeah, it was a, uh... Middlesbrough, um, James that uh, Baptiste came from because we yeah, had a load of them last that's season, right. so we could uh, we could really do with him back now. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, we, it's uh... we signed him for nothing. We signed him for free as well because of all the financial fair play stuff uh, that's happened at QPR. So yeah, he we were very grateful we got him. Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of surprised we didn't go back in for him really towards the end of last season because he's quite a versatile defender who sort of for a few times last season for us played right back. Um, obviously can play centre-back as well and even though we were winning games at the start of the season and we were I think third or fourth before we've gone on this run I was sort of saying uh, ever since transfer window shut that I do think we are light at the back and it, it is going to be a real test when we we do get a couple of injuries um, obviously I wasn't expecting us to get sort of seven or eight first team defenders out injured <laughs> when I said that but it's uh, yeah it's it's been quite a weird one we had sort of a makeshift back four together against the Aston against Aston Villa um on Wednesday night and at half time Callum Woods and Josh Earl both go off with uh, medial ligament injuries that's gonna keep them out for about a month. Well, and oh, that's not good. You you just see sort of the second half starting and, and two players coming on and you're thinking um Kevin O'Connor's coming on a left back so you know that Josh Earl's not gonna make it out and then you see Gallagher who's a midfielder so you you've 
sort of think maybe one of the midfielders have picked up an injury. So when Callum Wood's number goes up, there was sort of that collective groan around the ground that, you know, oh, here we go again, more defenders out injured. And then we went on to, uh, to Whipswitch yesterday and in the first half, Darnell Fisher, the right back, goes off injured. So I could, I'd be a bit more sort of not as stressed if it was, you know, like, two or three defenders, two or three midfielders and like a striker that, that are injured. But literally, if you look for our squad, we've got one midfielder who's injured, one striker uh, and seven defenders. It's <laughs> sort of, it's quite a hard one to put your finger on. Obviously, as, as Thomas mentioned, we do play quite a sort of a fast tempo, almost like a sort of a Liverpool or someone in that ilk that closed the ball down quickly and pressed the opposition. But, Sort of on on that same end, it's the midfield that tends to do that. So I'm quite surprised that it has been sort of all the defenders that have been that have been injured, really. Um, but obviously, you know, it's it's no one's fault that players get injured. Um, it's part and parcel of the game, and it's it's going to be a real test now for Alex Neil. I think probably his first big test as his sort of short tenureship as manager with us. Um, so it will be interesting to see sort of how they come through that, and you know, as uh, as you mentioned, James, sometimes out of that you can find one or two players who necessarily haven't played for you for a while who, who come good and really take their chance. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Um, but sort of moving on to the next topic, obviously we've got another international break coming up. Um, it's going to be quite good for us because none of our defenders have been called up because the majority are injured. So, you know, hopefully we can get one or two back before the next game. Um, I just wanted to get your two thoughts on, obviously this is going to be the third one now of the season. Um, you seem to get going again in the league and, and sort of most teams putting a run together and then it's disrupted again by the international break. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, obviously, it's not qualifiers, so we've got the friendlies now. Do you think that the friendlies should be taking priority over the league football and, and disrupting the flow of the league? Or, or what would your opinions be on it? Um, start with you first, James, on this one. That's a really good question. And it's really tricky. I mean, for me, for me, it's slightly loaded because kind of just my love for following three lines, following the England football team has really diminished over the years as a, as a lot of fans, as a lot of fans have. So then, and then when you realize, like obviously, so they've qualified. So you want them to kind of get the best prep they can for next year. Um, but you, you'd like to wonder if it could maybe be optional, but then, you know, how often do you get to play in a major tournament as a player? So most players would probably, would probably opt in. But that being said, the stuff that we're talking about in terms of injury problems, I think maybe you do need a break every now and then in the championship, just simply to kind of just stop, kind of take a breath, gather, assess everything. Because, you know, what you were listening just previously, it was exactly the same as QPR, probably like five or six defenders out, and no one else around the, around the rest of the squad, really, or around the rest of the pitch. So the, and also I think if you are on a bad run of form, because the championship can be so streaky in terms of performance, having a break can be great. It can be annoying if you are kind of on a, on, on a winning run. Um, but kind of having lost love of international football because I follow England, um, I always find it as a massive nuisance, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think uh, when I first started playing football, it's showing my age now, but uh, if you're in the second tier, I don't think the game used to stop for international weekends. I might be wrong, stand corrected, because there wasn't as many international players. Um, so it didn't used to be a problem that affected the championship, but now you've got probably just a sign of the quality of the league, really, and that it's a much more sort of cosmopolitan league. I mean, Wolves have got players jetting off all over the world, mainly to Portugal, obviously. Um, but so, I mean, but I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it, really. Um, I suppose I look at it, particularly in a season where it looks like we're on a promotion campaign, as you sort of break, helps you break the season up into little sections of like four or five games, and then you have targets within that to try and, try and achieve um and then yeah it's kind of a, a bit of a rest period i'm 
I'm kind of indifferent to it, I suppose. Um, but I think if you've got injuries, it's a good opportunity, like you say, to get players back, recover. Um, and then if you haven't got a lot of players going out, I suppose it's a chance for the coach to come in and and, and work with his players a bit more. So it's probably come at a good time for Sunderland in that respect, because they might be able to get a manager in and then get moving again. Um, but generally speaking, I'd, I'd say I'm just indifferent to it. Yeah, definitely. I think normally I'm sort of on the sort of the side of James in the fact that, you know, I'll still watch the England games, but my sort of passion for following international football over the last few years, especially, has sort of diminished with the sort of the lackluster performances at major tournaments by England. So normally I'm quite sort of downbeat when an international break rolls around, but this time, you know, we 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 need players back as simple as that. So I do think there's sort of the the benefit of having a break. Um, and as you mentioned, Thomas, it sort of does break up the season quite nicely. Sort of thinking about it, that you can set yourself sort of targets over that sort of month and a half, four or five games, however long it is, and see where you are at the end of that. And it's a good chance to regroup and sort of assess sort of where you are and set another set of short-term targets, which sort of for a manager, uh, I'd imagine sort of helps rather than sort of planning out your season as one big sort of target. It, it gives you the chance to sort of focus, take each game as it comes and sort of kick on, you know, and put a little run together. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see sort of the benefits and, and the negatives of it. And, you know, I think after this one now, there isn't another one till sort of March time. So, especially going over Christmas, it, it does give you a chance to, as we've mentioned, get these players back fit for what is probably the sort of the most demanding time of the season uh, sort of for a footballer. Um, the games come thick and fast and it's sort of the couple of months that can really shape your season and you come out sort of January, February time and you get sort of a good idea of who's going to finish where in the table um, and which teams are sort of in danger of going down or possibly going up. So, I think get through this one, you know, get the majority of your squad sort of ready. Um, and then, you you know, as we said, get into the sort of the testing months then over Christmas. Um, but sort of to touch on now, obviously, each team's had two games this week. We had a, a set of midweek games, um, which, you know, seems to be more often than not these days with getting all the games in. Um, especially in a World Cup year where the season finishes slightly earlier. Um, we'll start with you first, James. Obviously, uh, two games for QPR. Um, one, a tricky look, or both tricky on paper. Uh, home against Sheffield United and then away at Forest. Um, so sort of talk us through the week and um, which players over the course of the two games have impressed you sort of throughout the week and which have disappointed. Yeah, well, um, sort of the sublime to the QPR, really is kind of sort of this week. I mean, obviously, um, the win at, win at home against um, Sheffield United were quite, you know, clearly, I mean, obviously, I've seen, seen them on the TV and stuff. They're clearly a good side. And we took the lead through the strangest of goals. It was such a such a weird kind of coming together with um, uh, Jamal Blackman and Carter Vickers. And then it just presented itself to Idrissa Silla. And then QPR were great for the next 85 minutes. They were just... They were just really solid and you could see United were dangerous, but we um, we played really well. And it was just one of those nights where you're thinking, God, there was like everyone played decently. And then uh, and, and then and then we move on to Nottingham Forest, which is if there's ever a bogey ground, it's the bogey ground of all bogey grounds for QPR. We've never won there in the league or in the cup. Never won there. I think the first time we played against Forest was like in the early 30s, 1933. That's the 29th attempt in the league that we've been winless. Uh, I think 30, maybe 33 or 34 attempts overall. Uh, we went behind after 15 minutes, like maybe 12 minutes or so, uh, Tyler Walker and the QPR away support quadrupled in the hope of finally kind of banishing this hoodoo at the city ground. But it was, it just, it's just said everything about QPR really. Can't come off the back of obviously Wolves and Sheffield United teams that are pretty much the top two to then go to Forest, who are playing well at the moment, and just get beaten 4-0. It was, um, it just, it summed everything up about, about being a fan and supporting um, that club in particular. Uh, so, yeah, and in terms, in terms of it, it, who's impressed, um, Idrissa Silla is um, a funny one, but he's always there to score goals. I don't, I don't think he's scored a goal further than like eight yards or something absolutely crazy. And disappointed, it'd be quite harsh because I just think it just went badly. It was a real bad day at the office on on Saturday. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was a that was a week in a QPR fan's life, followed by the finance fair play the week before. Classic Rangers all over the shop. <laughs> Yeah, you sort of touched on it there a bit, sort of uh, like classic Rangers. You now have the same record as us in the league. So five wins, six draws, five defeats. Um, are you sort of looking now to sort of start to put a run together and get that consistency that would sort of shoot you up the table? Um, obviously, it's so tight in the division at the moment. Um, is it now for QPR, like, as I said, about finding that consistency and starting to put runs together? Well, you know, you know what, James, I think we've only lost once at home and that was to Fulham 2-1 and we very nearly um, equalised in like the 97th minute. So our home form is actually really solid. We just haven't won away in 15 attempts. So that is um, that is something that really needs to be addressed. I think the last time we won away was at Birmingham and and that was that was pre I think that was pre Redknapps. I think it was still Zola. And that is the biggest thing. If we can actually start to just just get a win away on the road then maybe we can build up a little bit more momentum. But kind of where we are is I don't think we are much better than that unless we sort out our waveform. But even then, I can't see us being playoff contenders despite the the results before Forest. I can't see, which I don't think the squad's got the quality personally. You think you're going to, because of this financial fair play stuff now and the knock on from that, do you think you're just destined to wander aimlessly around the championship for the seasons to come? And do you know? Do you know what? Do you know what, Thomas? It sounds weird, but that might not necessarily be a bad thing. I think. Yeah. I think perhaps. I think perhaps. But like, um, it's it, you know, it's not boring supporting QPR. I'll say that. Um, but maybe we need a little bit time. A little bit of time where it's a bit boring, where we just kind of just because what Fernandez has promised for a very long time, he spent two hundred fifty million the wrong way at that club. And we still rent our training ground, which is on the end of Heathrow Airport. And we still got nowhere near getting our um, stadium built with the things that were being promised. And you, I, I love Loftus Road, but it's cramped and it's creaking. And if QPR ever wants to try and be in the Premier League again, those are the things that really need to be sorted. And in a weird sort of circularity for what we were talking about much earlier about Sunderland, when we, the last time we went down to League One, Ian Holloway took over. And after a couple of seasons, Ian Holloway got us up and kind of laid the foundations there. Um, and now we've got Holloway again, and he's kind of his back's to the wall again. He's clearly got no money to spend. Um, and and I, I, it's a weird one. I love Ian Holloway, but sometimes he frustrates me. But I think he is the man to just kind of keep us on the path that we're going at the moment, because there's a lot of chaos still swirling around out off the pitch as well. Yeah, and uh, sort of over to Wolves now, Tom. Um, great week for them. Um, two sort of tricky looking games on paper um, that could sort of really have tested the squad. Obviously, you went away to Norwich in midweek and then you had a difficult looking sort of home game on paper um, on Friday night against Fulham, who have struggled a bit this season, but they're still one of the teams that you'd expect to be up at the top of the league or, or sort of there or thereabouts come the end of the season. Um, so sort of talk us through the two games, um, your sort of opinions on how they went and, and which players impressed and disappointed for you. Yeah, I mean, we obviously came into that Norwich game off the back of losing to QPR, as I'm sure James will take pleasure in reminding me about. They, um, and Yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is about this Wolves team that I'm quite impressed by, we've now, I think we've lost three games this season. We lost to Cardiff, Sheffield United, which isn't massively unsurprising, those two, and then QPR, which is a bit more surprising. Um, but uh, we've responded in each, you know, each of those times and put together good results. And that's what I'd say gives me confidence that we're still going to be right up there come May, because we, even when we lose games, we have good chances. I think against QPR, it a one all that game was quite poised. I think QPR were in on the front foot for much of the second half, but Wolves had the chances to to go two one up, and then I think it goes a different way. So I felt confident. It in all the games. Very easily could have done. Was it was a Bonatini? Did he hit one over? Um, yeah, and I, I felt like that was your chance. And yeah, then we sort yeah. of got on the front foot. Yeah, yeah. And like I said in my match report after, we won't be the last team to lose to a Matt Smith header. You know, that's <laughs> that's just part of championship football, isn't it? So. Um, so I didn't feel we played badly, you know, awful at QPR. We certainly weren't on our best, but I didn't, you know, I felt with a little bit of luck our way and a little bit less luck their way, we could have 
that have got the results. So Norwich, I was I was fearful of that game because Carrow Road midweek. I think a lot of teams would look at that and think I don't really fancy it on the back of a defeat. But you know, we we made he made a few changes to the team. Uh, Norwich came out quickly, pressed us kind of like QPR did. But we kind of weathered that storm, and then we always looked dangerous on the counter. We always looked every single time we went forward, we looked like we were going to get through. Um, but then I suppose annoyingly. Uh, I'd say it's for both games, Norwich and Fulham. Those teams will be frustrated because they've given us set-piece goals. Uh, Wolves played a lot of good football this year. So to give away, and that's what teams will probably be fearful of, that we're going to play through them. So to give away set-piece goals has got to be pretty gutting. And Norwich left a bloke. We've got centre-half who's about six foot five playing for us. They left him completely unmarked in the middle of the goal. And he gave us the lead early on. And then it just, we, we create so many chances on the break. Uh, it's just a case of whether we were going to ever get that second goal or they were going to, you know, sucker punch us. And thankfully we got the second goal and, and we were deserved winners in that, in that game. Although Norwich were quite lively, I, I felt. John Ruddy didn't make a save all night. So, um, yeah, I was comfortable with that. And then Fulham on Friday, that, that looked a, a tough game because Fulham played good football as well. So it, it was a, it was a, you know, interesting game in prospect because, most teams that have played Wolves this season have just looked to shut us down um, and then, you know, get us on the counter or get us out of possession and, and make things happen that way. Fulham were always going to be a different beast. They were going to try and play their way through us. And um, they did. They played really well for them. But unfortunately, they didn't start playing well until they were 2-0 down. Um, again, two set-piece goals, which they're going to be gutted about. Never really gave them the chance to get into it. And then for some reason, I felt... Their manager, Jokanovic, he made a couple of changes after half-time and that just seemed to make them weaker and take the wind out of their sails when it, I thought they might find a way back into the game. So so it turned out to be a very routine victory. So over the over the two games, I'm, I'm obviously very happy to get two wins and really cement our place at the top of the table. It's a bit disappointing that Sheffield United came roaring back to score four against Fulham yesterday because we would have been very happy campers uh, you know, had that not been the case. But I'm still confident going into the international break. Uh, star performers, uh, difficult to look past Bonatini. I think he scored now in his last six games for Wolves in a row. Um, fantastic records. He's been a wonderful player for us. Not not just the goals, but he's he's brought all the other sort of ball players into the game through holding the ball up and making good layoffs, intelligent runs. So he's been a real shining star. Difficult to really... Difficult to really pick anyone who's who struggled when you're top of the table and, and playing quite well. Is he uh, on sorry, is he on loan, Bonatini, or have you signed him? He's on loan, on loan from the footballing giants that are Al Halal in uh, Saudi Arabia. But <laughs> but wow. he uh, he did come through the Juventus uh, system, so he's got some pedigree. Um I don't know, he's one of these, he's a George Mendes client, so he's ended up where he's been parked and we, we've benefited from it, but he, you know he looks a great player. I mean, quite a lot. Of yeah, he players. is. He's a, he's a good player. He's perfect for this division at the moment. Yeah, he is. He, he looks very comfortable. So I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we're playing well. I mean, I don't really want more to add at the moment. It's just just wanted to carry on. We don't want to get like you've had, James. We don't want to get injuries. That's what we want to avoid because that's what's going to test. And honestly, I, I hate sounding arrogant, but I've seen a lot of Championship football over the last. You know, Wolves have predominantly been in the championship for my life. Um, but this Wolves team, I think, is the best. It's definitely the most technically proficient Wolves team I've ever seen. And I do think we, we've got the best team in the division. So I think if we stay injury-free, um, I think we, we, we get promoted from this league. So just, just hoping we can just maintain that status quo for as long as possible. Yeah, obviously, you touched on it there that sort of if you, if you can keep key players fit, You've got a, a, an excellent chance of going up. The the two games against sort of Norwich and Fulham, obviously tricky starts for both of them to the season, but they're probably two of the best squads in the division. Do you think sort of at the moment that your squad is sort of that good and sort of head and shoulders sort of above every other squad in the division? Um, sort of like I'm struggling, sort of looking down maybe Middlesbrough, but you know, they're not exactly setting the division alight, even though they're fifth. Um, do you expect to keep up the good run of form, even if you do have injuries? Um, obviously, you've got some great players on the bench and sort of is is this sort of the form that you expect the sort of the team to carry on for the rest of the season now? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've got obviously every team's got its best players, haven't they? I mean, we've got you've got Ruben Neves in midfield, fifteen million pounds from Porto. He's just been called up to the full Portugal squad. You know, he's he is a, an outstanding player. Uh, a lot of teams have done a good job of shutting him down because he's been targeted because they recognise that he will pull strings if if he's allowed to dictate games and. Um, if he was injured for a considerable amount of time, I, I struggle to think we've got a player of his quality. We've got good midfielders, but I don't know if we've got anyone who's quite as good as him. And then Bonatini's our only real out-and-out striker. We're, we're playing with a lot of number 10-esque players around him, like Jota and Cavalero and Costa. They're sort of wide players who like to play in and around a, a, a striker. So so those two you're kind of looking at and thinking, oh, are we, are we a bit light? Um and in January, I, but I expect us to do business again because this our owners and this connection we've got with George Mendes, they're, they're very serious about getting into the Premier League. So I, I expect us, even if we do have injuries, to, to go and replace those players. But looking at the bench, yeah, I mean, he, he changed three or four players against uh, Norwich. The team looked just as good. We went to Man City in the League Cup. He changed pretty much the whole team. And we're the only team to take Man City do uh, game goal list, took them through to extra time goal list, could have won that game. I'm not saying we're as good as Man City, don't get me wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just saying that that digging in and getting that result with our reserves showed that there's there's a good amount of depth in the squad. Um, but you just don't know. It's like The Championship is a, is a difficult division, but I just think we have, I, I think we have got the best squad because I think it was always a case of were these foreign players we've signed going to bed in and be able to play in the championship. And, you know, over a third of the way through the season now, you, you're looking at it thinking they probably can. But the next month or two, going through the really nasty winter months, that will be pivotal. I think if we're still in the top two come January, Feb, then I think we're, you're probably a good indication that we're, we're going to be there at the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. I think sort of the real test, as you said there, will come sort of over these winter months quite a lot of sort of players from Portugal and mainland Europe that won't be sort of used to playing in that weather especially with sort of the games coming thick and fast over Christmas as well so I think if you do come sort of out of Christmas as you said top one or two I definitely think you'll be up there come the end of the season um, yeah what I was going to say was it's quite interesting on the Friday I had to laugh that all of the quite a lot of the lads uh, Portuguese lads were all in the short sleeve tops which I thought was pretty impressive I was getting ready to count the gloves and the um <laughs> Under Armour and all that, but so I thought. I bet, bet that's a statement of intent. I bet you know they're that kind of group. They they probably be saying we're not going to do that. You know, um, but whether that's actually it might have just been pure coincidence. They'll probably all be suited up next time. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sort of to uh, to touch on a team that obviously aren't on a good run of form now. Sort of moving into Preston, uh, it's been. Another disappointing week. It's sort of slowly starting to turn into sort of a big issue now. Um, obviously, every team loses games for the for the season, and we'd had a couple of defeats um, over sort of the last sort of two weeks. But this week really has has been probably the worst week of the season for us. Last weekend we got beat by Brentford, which we covered on the show last week, which was quite a disappointing performance in the nature of the defeat. But then we went on to Wednesday night in front of the sky cameras and. Sort of, I have to be sort of careful how much sort of I, I do get on their backs because obviously we've got this defensive crisis at the moment. So obviously you've got players playing out of position and sort of the the settled team has been disrupted. But no, the first, get on their backs, it's fine. Yeah. Be annoyed. <laughs> well, the 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 first half against Aston Villa especially was was just poor. Um, you know, you, probably the the two best defenders were the sort of the two makeshift defenders that we had in the first half. Um, well, I say makeshift, Andy Boyle coming in for his first start of the season and then Callum Woods playing at centre-back when he's a right-back looks sort of solid, even though we went in 2-0 down. Um, the first one was, you know, a well-worked goal by them, which I think if they'd have played sort of that move against the majority of teams in the division, they would have carved them open the way they did to us. So, you know, it that first goal, sort of the qualities on show there, and you expect that from Aston Villa with with the squad that they've got. Um, the second goal, awful pass by Ben Pearson in the middle of our own half um, when he was sort of the deepest line midfielder, gave the ball straight to them and they took full advantage of that. And you, when you make those mistakes against the teams that have sort of the attacking players that an Aston Villa do, you, you're always going to get punished. Um 
got to half time and two of our defenders sort of as the way it's been going recently had picked up knocks in the first half and and that was them done i think they're both out for about a month or so now um josh earl and callum woods so we go into the second half with alan brown playing at left uh, uh, left center back andy boyle and kevin o'connor making their first starts of the, of the season and darnell fisher is the only sort of regular defender so it was quite weird sort of the second half was the better defensive performance when we had this sort of patched together defense um didn't create a whole lot going forward i thought john terry and james chester at the back were the two best players on the park um john terry's experience you know he doesn't have the legs anymore um but james chester compliments him sort of so well in that defense for aston villa that john terry can literally sit there read the game and when you read the game as well as he does you don't need to be the quickest uh he, he made it look so easy and he he made Hugill really look just like an ordinary striker who sort of was lacking confidence so it was disappointing in the aston villa game um but obviously with the injuries and playing someone like aston villa it's, it's always going to be difficult and we never seem to do well on the sky cameras anyway which you know carried on um but the real disappointment was yesterday against ipswich um before the game it's announced that sean Maguire, probably along with hugh gill our, our most creative player this season is, is going to be out for four months after having surgery on his hamstring issue that's troubled him ever since the uh the fulham game um i think with regards to him, he's come over from the League of Ireland where their season is panned out differently to ours. So obviously he's he's finished up sort of July, start of August time in the League of Ireland, not had an off season and gone straight into the season with us and played sort of nearly every game so far. So I think with regards to him, it's sort of all that football catching up on him. Um, played in the Europa League as well, which he, he'd never done. So he's played a hell of a lot of football over the last calendar year. And I do think... Obviously, it's never nice to wish an injury on anyone. But if there was one player who needs a rest and, you know, deserves to sit out for a few months, um, I think he will benefit from that. And he'll come back after Christmas, sort of raring to go again and almost be like a new signing when we do get him back. Um, we have quite a lot of attacking players sort of in the squad. Um, it's defensively where we're light. So, obviously, his creativity will be missed. But we've got players who can come in and do a job who've been sort of itching for a chance. So, it's, it's about them now really sort of proving it and and sort of taking that chance. Um, but to get into the game, the first half, and I was chatting to Benjamin Bloom, who's the, the Ipswich Town fan who comes on this podcast um, from time to time. So we were in agreement that between us, that's the worst half of championship football either of us have seen all season. Um, it was absolutely awful. And it sort of summed it up, Ipswich getting a, a free kick right on the stroke of half time, And I don't know what Maxwell was doing. He just completely went the wrong way um wasn't a penalty sort of where he's got to make a split decision um it was a free kick where you know the ball comes from sort of a bit of a way out from the edge of the box and completely wrong footed him and it wasn't even in the corner it was kind of sort of central in the goal and disappointing um sort of to concede on the stroke of half time um but the second half, Ipswich played a lot better. Sort of, I've got to give them credit, but we were absolutely shocking. Um, it looked like, and obviously, we have got the defensive injury, so we are going to be sort of weak at the back. But even the forward players just didn't look interested. There was no real sort of determination. And, you know, when you're in a bad run of form, you're looking for the players to stand up and be counted and, and really roll their sleeves up. And even if you get beat, you know, putting in a good performance and it's, there's some positives then to take and, and build on, but there was none whatsoever in the second half. Um, you know, at the end of the game, sort of the few hundred who had made the trip were sort of hoping that the players had shown them that recognition and all the players just straight off down the tunnel bar. I think Paul Gallagher, who has been with us a long time now, and you can see it sort of means a hell of a lot to him. Um, everyone else straight down the tunnel and that really sort of summed up the performance yesterday um alex neal since come out and apologized but you know it, it does leave a sour taste in the fans mouth who've sort of made a 10 hour round trip to get down to Ipswich and watch that um but you know that's that's all i'll really say on that um we're going to the international break now and, and hopefully get players back fit um the next game we've got you know if you're in a bad run of form at the moment sort of with the league table the way it is um Bolton at home is our next game and you know it's probably the perfect game to even if we only scrape it get a win on the board and, and stop this rot and stop us you know free falling down the table um 
sort of I have to be careful obviously with starting the season so well and it's kind of shifted our expectations a little bit but we're sort of around the point now where at the start of the season you know Alex Neal coming in as a new manager we thought we would be so it's disappointing but you know we're we're still sort of looking at the table a good sort of nine or ten points clear in the relegation zone and I do think we will be all right once we get these players back fit and and get out of this poor run of form um but you know it needs to happen sooner rather than later otherwise you'll be sort of even though it's still early in the season talking about sort of a relegation battle and sort of battling to stay up um but obviously, there's no games next weekend with it being international. So we'll just do a quick preview on, obviously, the games after the international break. Um, start with you first, James. You've got uh, Aston Villa at home. Um, obviously, you go into the game um, sort of uh, similar to us, not in terms of sort of losing the last sort of few games, but a bit inconsistent. Um, so how do you see the game going and, and what would be your sort of score prediction sort of now, even though it's a good sort of week and a half, two weeks away? Yeah, and, and sadly, uh, John Terry's not going to be able to make it. It would have been his first game back since that whole massive kind of uh, saga that occurred with um, with Ferdinand because um, he got he got injured yesterday. Um, yeah, I think he broke his toe, didn't he? I think was the what a sh- what a shame. I oh, know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you know, I, I I when when you guys were talking about squads and uh, and Bruce has got obviously a lot of experience in getting teams up. I did think that Villa. Uh, are probably the closest in terms of, or they might be a slightly more aging squad, but are closer uh, to Wolves than anyone else. Maybe and they've got a good manager in place and there or thereabouts. For QPR against Villa, we've been good at home this season, so you know it's it's just a, it's just a matter of kind of just trying to maintain that and carry that away. Um, but Villa have also, although they although they they lost recently, but until then they were on a really kind of good long run. I think seven or eight matches unbeaten, and uh, they were do, they were doing well. Um, so I, I always want QPR to win, but I think I think it's a draw. And we actually we haven't had a draw at home for a couple of games. It sort of sort of I think it's coming that way. Um, I'd love to see QPR win, but I think Villa have got a kind of a very strong squad and, and a manager that really knows this level. Yeah, and same to you, Thomas. Um, obviously, you're in fantastic form at the moment, top of the league. You go away to Reading, who are a bit hit and miss this season. Uh, how do you see the game going and what would be your score predictions for the game? Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think it would be follow a similar pattern to a lot of the away games this season. You expect Reading as the home team to come and come out and be on the front foot, but then Wolves hopefully absorb some of that and then be able to to pick them off on the break, effectively. Um I am a bit concerned by it. They've got a couple of ex-Wolves players. They've got Dave Edwards, who's at Wolves for nearly a decade, scores a lot of goals from midfield, and Bodvars in the forward as well. We have, I mean, every team probably thinks this, but every ex-player we seem to come up against seems to do something against us. And um, so I'm fearful of that. And they've got two attack-minded players in their team um, who are both were turfed out in the summer, basically, and told they weren't good enough to be part of this squad that's going to push for promotion. So they'll have the bit between their teeth. Reading are coming good again now. They had a difficult start to the season, performed really badly, but two wins and a good win at Derby. That was yesterday against an informed Derby side. They're going to be coming into that game with their tails up, looking at Wolves as a big scalp. So it's got a lot of danger on that game. Um, but I, I would like, to, I think if both teams play to their maximum, Wolves win the game. I think they just tallies. With, with what I've saying about the squad. As, as good as Wolves squad is, though, I mean, I, I would qualify that by saying every game is so close. You know, we haven't had many really comprehensive wins this season. We, we, we've still been edging teams out a lot of the time. Um, so, I'm, I, you know, I'm not arrogant enough to think we're just going to go and steamroll anyone. But um, certainly a difficult game. But then they're all difficult in the Championship. So I, I would still be backing Wolves to win. Uh, probably again, odd by the odd goal, two two one maybe, but um, but yeah, a win would be a very good result there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've already touched on it, but yeah, we've got uh, Bolton away. I believe it's on TV, which you know never sort of bodes well for us with it being on the Friday night. Um, so I'd imagine it's it not a good sort of... time to be playing then, is it? It's because uh, what you no, know. Yeah, I've. Uh... Obviously, they've just come off the bottom uh, and sort of looking at their run. They're uh, unbeaten in four. They've had some good draws in there, um, obviously, against QPR, Fulham, uh, Sunderland as well. And then they beat oh, Norwich QP- yesterday. QPR so. and Sunderland, though. Q- QPR away. That's a gimme. 
So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you, you can scratch that one off. I'm trying to be positive for you. Yeah, well, so, yeah, they've had those draws and then uh, a good win against Norwich yesterday at home. So, you know, they'll come into the game full of confidence um, and they're sort of on a little run um, of avoiding defeat. So, sort of on paper, it's a good game for us playing a team that are in the relegation zone. Coming off the international break, hopefully we can get a few players back. Um, we're sort of almost down to the academy the lads now, which, you know, it'll be a good experience for them, but it's sort of last resort. Um, but yeah, we, we never do well on Sky, but hopefully, you know, we've got to break that jinx sometime. So so why not uh, against Bolton on the Friday night? Um, I think it'll be a close game. I don't think we'll sort of walk it. Um, sort of as many sort of would probably predict us to with us being sort of mid-table and then being in the relegation zone. Um, but as long as, you know, we can even get a draw red tape now just to, to stop this rot of, of four defeats on the bounce and conceding sort of two or more goals in each game. Um, yeah, if we can get a draw, um, sort of my, my heart says that we'll win, but head says draw. So if I was to sort of put a bet on it, I'd say a score draw um, would probably be the, the result I'd go for. Um, but with that, we're out of time. Um, cheers for joining me today, guys. If you two wanted to let everyone know where you um, you can be reached and any projects that you're involved in, now would be a good time. Cheers. Uh, it's James Evans. Follow me at Jim E. Evans on Twitter. And I run We Are QPR TV, which is on YouTube. And also We Are QPR TV on Twitter is the tag there. So do do give me a follow. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, and just for me, uh, just for everything runs through the uh, Wolves blog account. So just you can get us the uh, the site is wolvesblog.com, Twitter is at wolvesblog, and Facebook is facebook.com forward slash wolvesblog. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers. Um, I write for Preston North End fan blog, which is at Deepdale Digest. And I also, sort of, as you've probably guessed by now, host the podcast. Um, we have a new Twitter account as well. So if you can give that a follow, that's at Championship Pod. And the new episodes each week will be uploaded on there as well as sort of a load of other interesting sort of facts and, and polls about the championships as well. So definitely check that out. Um, cheers for joining me today, guys. Uh, look forward to having you on again and uh, we'll see you soon.